for the first there's one this week, isn't it? There's a lot of hangovers yeah. that I've had that I that I think it was probably <laughs> worthwhile <laughs> because <laughs> I got something out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't hang out with those. Hello and welcome to episode 181 of the Rockstar CMO FA Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 2nd of September. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but with this podcast, I share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from sysadmin to CMO with the help of some true rockstars, my guests and chums, who I hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. Come say hello. You can find us at rockstarcmo.com or at rockstarcmo on LinkedIn and X, Twitter, whatever we're calling it today. This week, our resident rockstar CMO advisor, Jeff Clark, is back in the marketing studio to discuss the state of field marketing. I join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail with some advice on careers in content marketing. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Before I get to Jeff, here's a quick thought from me. As this week I ponder, if you're a B2B vendor, are you sales and marketing-led or product-led? And do you need to choose? Or should you? If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm a long-time B2B technology vendor dude. I've done it all from pre-sales, development, product management, product marketing to CMO. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, I started as a sysadmin. And I even flirted being an industry analyst for a bit. One of the things I've noticed over the years is that vendors tend to lean in a specific direction in how they want to be seen. They are product-led or sales and marketing-led. Maybe not exclusively, but at their core, they either see themselves building cool products that solve problems, and if they do that, people will come, or they drive their business, their product roadmap by sales and marketing, what's hot in the market and how they will sell it. And what inspired this thought is the heated discussions I've seen over the years between marketing and product development on whether to invest in more features or invest in better marketing of what they have. And you often see this discussion when an organization attracts some investment, for example. So do we invest this money in a better product or do we invest it in sales and marketing? And obviously there's a split between both. And the interesting thing is splitting these two things, it might suggest to you that marketing is there to perform some kind of Jedi mind trick and lure someone into a product that's ultimately shite if we lean too far that way. No amount of marketing will solve a shit product or service problem. I've mentioned the brand gap in the past, and there are two brands, the one you promise, the one you talk about, and one you deliver, the one they talk about. And of course, what they talk about will be the product or service. Obviously, the product is built for the people who are getting shit done and know the problem they want to solve. And what we say about our product is what it can do. It's sometimes said that features don't sell, but of course, the functionality of a product is critical as we get to the bottom of the funnel and close the deal. And in specific categories with free trials and freemium versions, features and their usability are firmly part of the pre-purchase customer journey. And of course, with SaaS, you've got to keep them once you've got them on the platform. Look at how great products like Slack or even Zoom initially invaded our enterprises. They didn't market to our C-suite, to the IT team or to our boss. They were useful to us users, priced under buying gatekeepers radar and Trojan horse their way into our organizations. Today, the product can sell. And that's what product-led growth is all about. So we need to build for users. Someone willing to take that step with a free trial or freemium version of a new product to instantly become a user before they are a buyer. And what I mean there by a buyer is somebody that has to follow a buying process or has to have somebody else play the buyer. These guys are early adopters at the thin end of the technology adoption lifecycle or Roger's bell curve. You've probably seen that. 
that model at the thin end are the early adopters at the beginning. Then there's a fat bit in the middle of the mainstream and then it tails off to the laggards. So build it and a few will come. Sometimes we can just put something shiny and maybe a little bit shit in the path of an innovator or early adopter and they might pick it up for the pure geek novelty. But having more features undiscovered by the people with the problem doesn't help them solve their problem. We have to reach them. We have to get to that fat bit of the market, the majority. We're talking to buyers who have decision processes with friction and fear that we need to overcome. We need to reach them with a story of how it can help them. So the marketing is for the buyer, the influencer, the one with the aspiration. It bridges the gap between being an early adopter and the majority who need more than just a list of product features saying what it can do. They need to know what it can do for them. So to make our awareness, revenue and trust, we need to build the product for the users and marketing for buyers. We are solving different problems for different people and appealing to both sides. Okay, that's quite enough of me. It's time to join Jeff Clark, our resident rockstar CMO advisor and former research director in our marketing studio. Welcome, Ian. Welcome back into the studio here in sunny... Oh, sorry, it's not that sunny right now, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> so we're taking our virtual marketing studio to Massachusetts then. Is this where that's it is? That's where it is right now, yes. Thank you. Thank you for the welcome. That's splendid. And um, you've had a bit of a break. Again. I've had a bit of a break. Yeah, and I think I think it's been off for two yeah. weeks and uh, spent one of them in uh, on the coast of Maine, in, on a nice. faraway town called Stonington. Uh, lots of lobster and views of the ocean. So, uh, highly recommend it you to anybody who's that. willing to take the trip. I love it. I love it. Yes. No. Yes. And then um, before that, I was on holiday, so we've missed each. other. I know. And we were in so and nice we were in Spain earlier this year, and we didn't. We didn't. Yeah, we should have yeah. coordinated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. So yes, coordinated our our Rioja and all the lovely things that Spain has to offer. I think absolutely. Um, but yes. So uh, so we're back. And uh, what I shared with the listeners last week was that we were going to talk about field marketing, which indeed we are. Um, so and I'm going to because we're inspired again by your old chums at Forrester. So I think I'm going to call this instead of the marketing studio Forrester. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think it needs I think it needs its own little theme tune <laughs> this week <laughs> on Forrester Watch. <laughs> So in the latest instalment of Forrester Watch, you have come across some interesting research about the state of field marketing, uh, or more specifically, I noticed that they claim there is a conflict between corporate and field marketing teams, uh, which I find absolutely fascinating. Conflict sells. Uh, That's what it is. You know. Conflict sells. Absolutely. We all know that, right? There's some link, link bait to whatever it's called. <laughs> uh, click bait. Click bait. And, and I think... Um, Obviously, that's an interesting topic for me. I manage a corporate team, as people know. I'm CMO of a company called Spotter Group. And um, we've recently centralized. So there's this important balance that we're trying to make between central and local. Uh, so I'm interested in this topic. And I've seen this so many times in our career. And I think we've seen it too when we work together uh, about how we manage central and field marketing. So what say you, Jeff? I tell you, you know, so as as well, I've managed global teams for I think it was like about 15 plus or minus years and you know there mm-hmm. was seemed like there was always a conflict between corporate and regional whether you know the company culture was more centralized HQ focused or whether it was more um, you know distributed uh, it just yeah. it, it was always a challenge in the recent post by um, my friends at Forrester uh, Daryl Wright and Nikki Briggs field marketing in crisis I do think they're trying to sell on <laughs> on the dire nature and the conflicts, but they do, they do a regular study mm-hmm. about uh, field marketing and it, it does tend to take a particular focus on um, both the uh, European and Asia PAC regions. So if anybody is interested, go to the show notes for the, the link and, and tune into that. Mm-hmm. And, and the thing is that I think that the situation of the challenge of aligning corporate and field marketing continues, but the issues, you know, get to be different. I mean, there's some of the longstanding things about, Corporate sets goals, you know, but you got to align with regional sales teams. There's the, you got to reinforce the corporate brand. Maybe that changes. How does that relate to local attributes? You know, do local regions, are they part of an inherited company or brand that they, they have, that's important to them? 
Mm. You know, I think one of the things that they point out is there's a lack of focus on current customers because field marketing is mm. evaluated gold on just creating MQLs mm. and SQLs, as we've talked about before. Yeah, yeah. But then there's, you know, the yeah. fact that in the recent, I'd say probably the recent, you know, decade that as digital teams got more sophisticated than, you know, are the field teams, you know, are they savvy on use of digital marketing? You get the, also the budget issues where, you know, there's a, there's the balance between regional corporate budgets and, you know, have, have, has the corporate organization understand where we need to fund for growth, like going into China or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, you know, we often talk about on this podcast about customer experience. Well, that's, easier to manage from a central perspective. So, you know, how do you, how do you get field teams to help mm. in making sure there's a good customer experience? Yeah. And I think that reflects back on the third point you just made there, which is the lack of focus on current customers, because you're absolutely right. Typically your field marketing team are a demand gen team. So they're out hunting, looking for new MQLs and SQLs. But uh, I think that that is changing or well certainly in my organization we're we're strongly changing that focus because also because we're a company made up of acquisitions so we've got new products on stream that we can uh that we can offer to our existing audience and our existing customers and so we're putting a lot of focus on current customers but i've got to tell you from experience that habit that reflex that muscle around mqls and sqls is a hard habit to break it's It's a because we've got all our attribution models set up that way. That should be a theme song for one of our future discussions. Hard habits to break. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. So, as I was saying, I, I, I went off on a bit of a ramble there, and I'm not supposed to do that. It's, this is you're you're the brain. I'm, I'm the one supposed to ramble. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's your job. Um, but I've seen. But I mean, as I was saying, I've seen this a lot in my career. So, um, I'm hoping. And I've got the notes in front of me, so I know that this to be true. You've got five steps for me and oh, the listeners. Absolutely. Follow. And I didn't have to yeah. I didn't have to uh gin it up to five or knock it down from six. <laughs> um but yeah, I mean they just you know, given given my experience, our experience and, and the things we've talked about before, I mean there are there are a number of things that just come really come to light. One the first one is, you know, you need to reinforce the needs based approach to building content and, and running campaigns. Mm-hmm. And so we've we've talked about that on and on and on. But when you think about yeah. it in, in perspective of, of aligning with field marketing, um, you know, you have to understand that there's a lot of regional differences. I mean, obviously there's language, but there's, there's, you know, mm. terminology, there's, you know, the maybe industry focus, et cetera. And so when you're building your content and your campaigns and you're focused on the needs, you know, one of the things that's incumbent upon you, if you're in a corporate role is to understand how those are different as you look across the regions and that could be, mm. you know, that could be the regions within us and North America, as well as, you know, globally. Mm. Um, and, and really make sure you're training the field teams, like the research you've done to understand the needs of your customers, you know, make sure you're mm. training the field teams to understand, you know, how you came to these conclusions and what it means. Uh, and, and I think that's one of the things that I, re- I remember is, and his organization that I worked at that was extremely HQ focused was that, you know, the UK and the, and the doc, you know, the, the German and mm. Austrian teams would, would say, Hey, you know, you, you're coming up with this stuff and, and you just have no idea what banking is like in our territory or insurance is like. Mm. Our, so you think you understand, but you don't understand how it's different here. Mm. And so you've got to make sure that whoever's helping you, you know, do that needs based research and messaging that they're, in touch with uh, it, certainly with key regions to understand how the positioning could be shaped for their market. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think that that's part of a that's also part of a a marketing habit that we should have, which is that we should talk to customers, whether you're set you know, and local customers, whether you're central or decentralized as an organization, right? And also this thing about needs, absolutely. I mean, the need the the way that some some organizations and some territories buy your product may change. They may have different needs within different territories. Absolutely. And the other thing is I was thinking as you were talking there is that this, this is two way comms. This isn't just about informing a top, a better top down push, right? It's about a collaboration about bottom up, top down. Well, I mean, 
maybe a field marketing team wouldn't want to be, wouldn't want to be described as bottom. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm not the bottom. Central, <laughs> yeah, so, central to let's say central to local market. Let's yeah, say that. Yeah, so yeah. that, and, and I, I think that the local market needs to be valued, right? In in their opinion, it needs to be just as valuable as whatever's coming out from HQ. So I think that two way things is what I was hearing there. So that's that's the first step. So carrying on with our normal hobby horse of needs taking a needs-based approach for content and campaigns. What's your next step? Ensure there's strong um, ties and collaboration between sales and marketing at, at each level in the organization. Yeah. So, you know, if you're the CMO or, you know, a, a demand gen leader at a corporate level, obviously you want to have alignment with the sales from a cor- global perspective. Mm-hmm. But as you get down into region and even down into country levels, you know, you got to make sure that those ties are strong. So as a As a, as a, you know, as the marketing leader, you need to, you know, identify, you know, what those connections should be and make sure that they're being um, nurtured. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I remember actually, I remember two, two companies I worked with where, you know, the, uh, the marketing manager in France was having some issues Mm -hmm. aligning with the sales or the operations director in France. And so, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'd have to have, I personally had to have meetings with kind of the, the you know, kind of a three-way meeting so that we yeah. could make sure that we're kind of going through, you know, what we, what we're trying to do from a corporate yeah. perspective. How's that going to differ in France? What we can do to help you? What do you need? Ah, da, da, da. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, that, I mean, I got good enough at it. I don't know why it, it always happened to be France, but, you know, <laughs> I won't say any more than that, but it was like, but no. that got me, uh, I mean, it got me big kudos from, the sales yeah. director in France, because he's kind of like, you know, I understand what the challenges are down at the, mm. at the, at the local level and can help them sort of figure out how our corporate mission and campaign is going to fit into what they need to do. Yeah. And that, I mean, the, the fact this step is ensure there's strong ties between sales and a level of marketing. I mean, that's just, I mean, that, 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 that that's just good advice we've given a, a quite a few times on here haven't we about the relationship with with sales and i i've always found that you know if you just even if you're just gonna have a beer with a salesperson it's just it's yeah. a marketer just find a local salesperson sit down and chat with them and they'll tell you all the problems <laughs> no problem with that and um, you'll learn an awful lot about the challenges they're facing in the local market and how you can help so i think that that's a great piece of advice so the first there's, one there's is a, we're gonna there's a lot of hangovers yeah. that I've had that I, that I think it was probably <laughs> worthwhile <laughs> because <laughs> I got something out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't hang out with those sales guys. <laughs> Particularly from Australia yeah, so, or South Africa. So. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um, well, the Europeans aren't too bad either. Too yeah. Bad, so yeah. you normally us Brits get a bad reputation with the Americans, actually. But anyway, let's not drink, talk about drinking culture. Let's focus. So your third one. Uh, what, so your sorry. So your first step was reinforce the needs based approach. Then we ensure that we've got the strong ties with the local marketing teams, the local marketing leadership. What's your third? Plan for localization, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, so both language, um, you know, terminology, industry, you know, with local or industry, you know, uh, vernacular, and yeah. I mean, this kind of goes without saying, but it's like, this is one of the hardest things to do. I mean, you have to allow for regional variation and, mm. um, you know, particularly, you know, even in big territories, you know, if you're going across us or you're going across, you know, the dock region or something like that, there's mm. you know, they'll, they'll, <laughs> they'll be willing to tell you, you know, there's differences when you get into this, this industry mm. or that, that, you know, country or subculture. So, yeah. um, you know, it's just, this is, uh, you know, part of this is a budgeting exercise because in addition to un- understanding the timeline it takes to, you know, create, like create some key pieces of content and then be able to mm. localize them. Um, you know, there's also the budget. And so one of the things that I know, you know, we did when, um, back when we were both at, uh, at SDL, which is a language translation technology company, you know, mm-hmm. we it would be nice to have, you know, our content in all the languages for all the, the uh, 26, I think, some different regions that we served or countries that we serve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's impossible. So, you know, you got to create tiers and you got to say, you know, what are our yeah. tier one, uh, you know, regions? What are our tier two? What are our tier three? And then understand from uh, a collateral localization, website localization, you know, where are you putting the, yeah. the, uh, the, um, the budget yeah, yeah. and, 
where do you need to invest? Like I think, as I remember back then, we had to invest in Korea because it was a growing market. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily a big market from a total revenue perspective, but it's like, oh, mm-hmm. well, we got to put some, got to put some money behind it. Well, yeah, I think, I mean, we don't have a specific point here about um, budget, but I think that's an important point that you you actually touched on it earlier, and. It's trying to like treat all your children equally, apart from the ones that you can't, right? Which is <laughs> yeah, really. And I, and I also think a market is not always a country, is it? It's, Correct. It's a new category that you're going into in a in a new vertical and possibly into a new country. And sometimes you need to put some growth funding into that, right? And you have to put some investment into it. And it's going to be disproportionate to another more established market where you're you're ticking along. So that's an interesting thing about the, the, the budget. And also, I like this idea of tiering the countries as well, because you're absolutely right. I mean, the web, the content you need, if you're not huge in Germany, you don't need a fully translated website in German. You yep. just need those key products that you're selling into that into that space and one of the challenges here is that the the tiering or the understanding of investment needs to be known up and down from corporate down to the region because you know somebody at a you know at a country level might say we need the investment and it's like yeah but your your boss or your boss's boss (laughs) doesn't realize that yet so yeah yeah. uh, well that could be a whole i think that almost could be a whole um uh, one of our five effing things it, it, about budget, yeah, you know, because I think that, and it, it's so, it's so key in marketing and driving that behavior and driving um, what you're capable of doing. Is budget is just such an essential element of the operationalization, operationalization, the operationalization of marketing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I you got I'm, it. <laughs> I, I think I'm slipping. I'm slipping into American of organizations. Yeah, did you throw a Z in or an S? I can't remember. Yeah, of course, I chucked a, <laughs> chucked a Z in there, man. Uh, the other thing about the localization thing is, um, is of course, and I think it's interesting that you've mentioned the French already. Is and it, it tends uh, is that markets that say we're so different from everybody else. No, we cannot just have your localized content. We have to talk about or do something different. That's always a difficult discussion, isn't it? In terms of it is. you've got you've got your brand story you want to tell, you've got your product stories you want to tell, you've got everything locked and loaded and you just want to tr- translate it. And they're like, no, nah, we want to talk about something completely different. Or you don't understand it's not like that here. Yeah. That's always tricky, isn't it? Because you it's hard to find an arbiter in that conversation because they're going to, you're from Central or you're from one country and they're from somewhere else. And it's like... Yeah. Okay, I don't know how to. So that's a really interesting option. That might be a whole twenty minutes on its own as well. I think that so might be. The, so your third step is to plan for localization. Your fourth step, I think, is, is so. Oh, you're <laughs> is. Yeah. <laughs> dot, dot, I nearly dot. read it out. I know. I nearly did. I nearly did what you did a couple of weeks ago. I just read, read it out from the notes. It's like, no, that's my pick. <laughs> so, yes, what's your fourth step? Well, now? it's the charge your your corporate teams with assisting regional marketers. So let, not just get mm. stuck in the ivory tower. So digital customer yeah. marketing. Uh, I mentioned product marketing before, or you know maybe industry or solution marketing. I mean, they're all mm. examples of teams that can. I mean, they they've got a lot to do. Uh, they <laughs> they yeah. want to get their stuff yeah. done as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. so figuring out how um, they can. And there was the two way conversation that you you mentioned earlier. It's like so you want to learn yeah. from them. You want to learn what they need, and then you want to be able to assist them. Uh, yeah. and I have one of the things that, you know, I was thinking of the, about this is, you know, like social marketing is, is one of the toughest challenges because so much of it is like, what's, what's relevant, you know, in the market. And it's, and there's a, there's a lot gets covered by Twitter now X or, you know, um, yeah. you know, other, other platforms that are, that are global, but you know, to really be relevant in the market, you know, it's, it's got to have, it's got to have that local spin. And so this can become another opportunity for like a social team, a corporate to enable, you know, understand where there are people, resources that, that have the time and can, you know, and can actually, you know, gain the skills to become good social marketers on their own, uh, you know, and then be able to provide them the content and, you know, post and things that they can adapt for um, regional deployment. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, this is, 
This is one of those things where it's, uh, you know, there's no special sauce. This requires just a lot of, uh, lot of hard work on yeah. both the corporate and the local teams. Yeah, and it sort of boils down to that sort of command and control management style, doesn't it, some of this stuff? Because what particularly I thought it was interesting there when you were talking about social media is like, yeah, um, and, and the skills involved in, in social media, it's really setting those guidelines and having well understood and, uh, and everybody being on the same page in terms of how do we talk, how do we present, who is our audience, and then saying to the local person in their local language, now go do, right? You, I'm, I trust you. you. You post on social about there... whatever's happening in the German marketing market or whatever it is, right? I think with good communication up front, then you can build trust and you can yeah. let them do their thing. And then if if <laughs> if something fails, I don't know. It, it, what was funny was as I was was thinking about this one right now for one of the clients I work for, I, I you know I do a lot of work getting information out of partner portals because they're creating campaigns, social posts, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which you know I can mm-hmm. adapt and you know, post on our website and in LinkedIn and stuff like that. And so it's kind of the same thing where it's like, you want to be able to provide things that are relevant, um, that are in a, you know, perhaps in a, you know, social media management tool where they yeah. can pick it up, you know, localize, adapt, run it. Yeah. Uh, and then you can track the, um, you know, track the responses. Think, yeah. And I also think we can get a little bit wrapped up around, around the axle sometimes with, with some of these things, particularly like with case studies and some content. So, the fact that a French supermarket has seen this benefit and, and there's a really nicely written case, the fact that I'm in Germany with the same use case or I'm in the UK, you know, we, I think you can reuse content like that. And sometimes people are a bit shy of that and say, I know I need, I need French case studies. I don't know, maybe, maybe to start off with, we, we can reuse what we have and, and, and work our way up to having French case studies. Um, I don't know why we're picking We on keep beating on the French, French boy. Yeah. there aren't enough consonants in on my keyboard to to, to do well translation (laughs) yeah i don't know all right so uh so we've done four right so we've done uh our needs-based approach that we talk about all the time strong ties with sales with the marketing organization we've got a plan for localization and then we've got to entrust and give enable our local teams and 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 make sure that our our corporate people are talking to our local people right yep so what's your fifth and final effing step the fifth and final one is that you have to understand where a region is truly unique i mean one Mm -hmm. of the things that that um i used to talk a lot about when i was at forester and serious decisions was you know the idea that you have a scorecard and it's like you know you're Mm -hmm. so you create a corporate campaign you serve 20 different regions um keep a scorecard who who's opting in and who's opting out of that campaign um mm-hmm. and and so you understand that it's like okay there there's going to be some some countries or you know again some other sort mm-hmm. of division where you'd say okay they can't really take advantage of this and if they're ones that are truly unique and 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 um don't seem to fit into a lot of our corporate resources. What is it that we can provide them in support? Uh, I mean, my experience was that sometimes you'd be in a country and it's like, they'd be all all we need is some PR. If you can help us with some PR and maybe fund an agency to help work with us, then uh, maybe we can leverage some of your content. And obviously we need to keep consistency with brand. um, Mm. But, uh, but, it's just this, you got to come to the realization there may be some places where you know you you give them a little bit of love um but otherwise they're on their own yeah i agree and that's interesting i think some of this is sometimes about the people isn't it it's like everybody has an opinion about marketing and everybody know and particularly people in sales right they have a view of what will work and what won't work in marketing and there are some of us that are thinking that maybe are doing some of the deep work and thinking about longer term brand strategies and stuff like that and these guys are looking for something instant to work in their audience in their region to get some mqls and get moving so it's it's that interesting conundrum isn't it whether you're whether you're talking to a regional head or whether you're talking to a local sales head it's that sales and marketing dance isn't it about 
about about what people need and their uniqueness. Now that's very cool. So those were your five steps. So if I reiterate them properly a bit more succinctly than I did just now, <laughs> uh, reinforce the needs based and approach to content and campaigns. Ensure there are strong ties with sales at each level of marketing. Plan for localization. Charge digital and customer marketing teams with assisting regional field marketers. And finally, understand when a region is truly unique. Oh, by the way, on that last one. There's some research and data I'm, I'm presuming that we can leverage, right, that would help us as central marketers understand a region, right? That we need to do some work there, haven't we, as well? Yeah. And see what, what our competitors say and all that kind of good stuff. Cool. All right. So this final agenda item, we've done the weather, we've done the thing, is what song are you play out with today? Ole Ola, which was the 2014 World Cup theme from uh, Pitbull. <laughs> But I was yeah. thinking about any something that's that is, you know, a campaign that is translated and uh, yeah. around the world, but has a common theme. It's football and the World Cup. Yeah. So it's the uh, the one of the phrases: "Show me, show the world where you're from." Uh, it's just kind of a great upbeat song to Splendid. go out on. Splendid. So I'll be playing out of Ole, Ole, Ola by Pitbull. And uh, uh, that was a shock. That was a surprise. Just that I'd let you. <laughs> so, so a bit of football there from Jeff. But yes, I, and I'll also, I, I've got to appreciate the fact you said football and not soccer. So uh, thank you very much for that. Do you know soccer was the original term for it and then they changed it to football? But Really? I'm going to have to yeah. look that up. But have to also, do that. We, have to, well, we do an episode on that. Yeah, I have absolutely <laughs> no idea. I don't know why American throwy catchy is called football, but um, they don't seem to. <laughs> throwy catchy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> throwy catchy put down on the ground. Anyway, um, less about that. I don't know. Thank you very much, Jeff. And will you yes, be in the back studio next week? Yeah. I believe that we're going to turn the tables and you're going to ask me some questions. So I, I w- absolutely will. <laughs> All right, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you. Jeff, and that's a little bit of Ole Ola from Pitbull, the 2014 World Cup theme, and maybe Forrester Watch should be a regular feature. Let us know what you think. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory, for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, 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 and welcome to the bar. And I do love what you've done with the place. I mean, it always seems to evolve, and it looks like you've turned it into a whole video game gallery here. I, I, there's Pac-Man over in the corner. There's classic video and pinball machines, and you've just turned this into a complete and wonderful video game, like anachronistic sort of thing. So I have. yes well that's all the cool kids are listening to now mate it's 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 video game music and they like to play the video games while they listen to the video game music what bar is not themed as a video game bar these days that's it well all the good ones i had to hook onto the train absolutely mate so um if we uh, so what what what's uh, so yeah so what are you drinking? What's the cocktail today to go with? So we have a wonderful games? cocktail uh, mm-hmm. tonight because it's yeah. not really even a cocktail. Um, we it's been a long time since we've done <laughs> just a very simple glass of red wine. Oh, um, but I have more than just a simple glass of red wine. Yeah, I have brought a special Brunello di Montalcino, uh, an Italian Brunello, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, Il Poggion. Uh, and the Brunello di Montalcino Reserva from 2016. Um, and it's just an amazing bottle of wine when you can find it. Uh, and it's big and red. And it's the time, it's the kind of wine that you have when you have a big, wonderful steak dinner. 
mm-hmm. um, or something very heavily, you know, red sauce Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and there you go. That's that's our that's our cocktail tonight. We're keeping it simple. Oh man, I love and I love sharing a big glass of red wine with you, mate. That's, that yeah. sounds perfect. And I'm going to completely ruin that vision by gonna, by trying to make that very drink using only the ingredients on my desktop bar. And uh, so yeah. I'm going to start off with ice, which ruins any nice glass of red wine. And then in, in order to continue with that uh, theme of ruining a nice glass of red wine, I'm going to start off with some gin. <laughs> so maybe nice. I'm just. Maybe I'm just a course behind you in the, in the drinking, and, and maybe I'll move on to the wine later. And then, of course, what's the most English of uh, red grape varieties? We all know it's the cucumber. And oh, indeed. The lovely people at Hendrix have uh, blended for me some lovely... Ooh! <laughs> That's me dropping the lid on the floor. Uh, I've blended for me some lovely cucumber tonic water, which I've put into my gin, and I'll give that a taste. Mm. That is delicious. I love that. What did you call that? Uh, we're calling that a, a, a Brunello di Montalcino. It's a, it's a glass of red wine is what it is. <laughs> that is delicious. And if there is one thing that isn't very far away from my desktop, my real desktop bar, it is a nice bottle of red wine. I do love a lot. Very nice. Wine. That's perfect. So we're sipping on these. Uh, we've moved away from the uh, video games. And I'm guessing with a classy wine like this, we're going somewhere classy. Where are we? Oh, yes. We're going to go somewhere classy, which is going to be, of course, we need to go to uh, Tuscany. Mm. Um, and we will sit in the Tuscan, wonderful sunset, mm-hmm. sitting on some amazing restaurant patio, watching the sunset over the fields, the little hills that are there in Tuscany, and just um, enjoying. I mean, it's the f- most first class way to actually enjoy a great glass of good red wine. I love it. I love it. And I hope the listeners are just picturing that. Close your eyes. Imagine you're in Tuscany. I love it. <laughs> so, um, well, and as, uh, and to ruin the uh, beautiful uh, uh, yeah, right. piece <laughs> and conversation yeah. and the thoughts of, of the listener, what, um, what and, and our thoughts and conversation turns to marketing, what are we talking about this week? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the, the career laddering. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, it's fascinating to me with what's going on in, you know, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of discussion about career management of late, much of it because of the disruption of AI, um, much of it because of the great resignation that happened over the last couple of years since COVID. Um, And it's interesting. And much of it uh, also, by the way, um, because of the perception, and I'll get to this in just a second, the perception that young people um, are job hoppers. Right. And so how, you know, what has really changed here and especially what has really changed in the world of content marketing, because at CMI, we've just released our career pathing, uh, research. And there's some fascinating things there about AI, certainly, but there are even more fascinating things about where content marketers are feeling in their career. And, and that's where I want to focus on all this because, it's interesting. It's a myth, by the way, that uh, people stay in their jobs for shorter durations these days. Uh, and in fact, since the 1980s, the average job tenure has remained at about the same, which is five years. Now, this is a U- U.S.-based statistic, right? So, right. so forgive me there. Um, now, there's subtle tenure differences with uh, age, and that includes you know millennials and Gen Z. Um, but they're subtle. They're subtle differences and gender uh, as well, where um, uh, women tend to stay a little uh, longer than, than men right. do. But mm-hmm. again, these are subtle tenure differences. Mm-hmm. Um, don't believe the myth that young people have become less loyal to working for the same company. Um, but then you go, okay, well, wait a minute. How does this generation get to be called the job hopping generation if this <laughs> average tenure is the same? What causes this misperception? And it would be easy, in fact, too easy, and this is the thing I think is so annoying about when we start talking about the different generations, um, is that you know we chalk it up to just impatience or helicopter parenting or something like that. And the idea here is, is that actually, uh, basically, only half, uh, uh, basically from, this is from Gallup research, 
find that half of workers 25 to 40 agreed that they'd be working at their company in a year uh, versus 60% of older workers like you and me. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, to me, those numbers are way too similar to be distinctive, right? Yes, they are more. There are more younger people who don't expect to be in their job next year versus older workers. But that makes sense if you think about it, because once you kind of settle in and you get older, you're <laughs> going to stay, right? Yeah. Um, and so, Plus but they're too, way too similar. Yeah. yeah, they're, yeah. they're way too similar to be distinctive. But I mean, if I said, look, 40% of one part of your job or your workforce and 50% of another aren't confident they're going to be in there in a year, there's something else other than age at work here, right? Um, and so the, the answer, and this is where I want to come back to content and marketing, is there is no career path for content marketers right now. They're just dead ends. They're just, yeah. they're just, and they're labyrinthine at best. And so you go back to when you and I first started entering the job market, 1990s, early 2000s, and what would happen, right? Business, we'd get hired, we'd be fresh out of university, we'd be, you know, <laughs> plopped right down into an entry-level marketing position and a ladder was laid out for us, right? You know, we would matriculate, right? Coordinator to manager to senior manager to director to vice president to senior vice president and hopefully one day the C-suite. And it was well relegated. Well, then interestingly, what happened? Well, digital happened, right? Because we started doing weird things after the 2000s in companies where we started siloing off marketing. Now we have digital marketing versus other marketing, I guess, but there's sort of regular marketing and digital marketing. And some companies still do that today. But then we even chopped it up further, right? We started chopping it into, well, there's web marketing and email marketing and social media marketing and brand marketing. And Mm -hmm. there's the web team and the content team and the email team and the technical team and the digital team. And there are all these teams (laughs) and they all have career paths, right? So it wasn't just a marketing career path anymore. It's like, what channel, what version what you know what content type are you working on because there needs to be a career path for that well some companies did that right some companies did like digital marketing career paths but what has happened is that content marketing especially has just been lopped into this rest of the digital marketing chaos the soup that it is <laughs> and basically there's three things that a content marketer can do in most businesses these days you got three business you know three choices one once you get to the manager position you can either matriculate out and into some other form right you know you yeah. can become a social media vice president or you can become a you know you can move out of content marketing into some other element of digital marketing or you can depart for the same job at a different company hopefully with a little more money mm-hmm. or you can leave and build your, you know, practitioner practice, right? Your consulting practice. Yeah. And so when we looked at our research this year, it validates that those three sort of dead ends for, for content marketers. Half, 54% content marketers, they feel like they're engaged at work. They like what they do. They feel like they're doing meaningful work, but almost a third of them are actively or highly interested in looking for a new job. And you go, Why? Because they don't see a career path in front of them. They, 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 they're in a dead end. And so the interesting thing is, is that when we said, okay, what are the things that you're looking for in this new job? And basically the, the, the sort of pushback on that is, well, look, career path is like low on the list, right? It's like meaningful work, mm-hmm. more money, all those kinds of things. And what is it that you're actually looking for? And career path is so low. And people go, that does that means that they're not looking for a career path in this. And I'm like, no, it actually mm-hmm. does mean they're they, what they've done is they've given up. They don't believe that a career path exists for content marketing. So therefore it's low on the priority list because they don't expect to see one. Yeah. And so I think this is the new differentiator for marketing teams that are looking to differentiate with content is to build a career path as part of the strategic function of content that they're building in their business. Because if you can build a career path, you can start to build in layers of the expertise and institutional knowledge and all of the wonderful things that you get from people sticking around for a while. Mm-hmm. And you get them sticking around in your particular you know, strategic area. You save money, you make things more efficient, you make things more effective, and you keep those valuable people because they don't have to feel like they have to dead end and jump out of the spaceship before it, <laughs> it gets into orbit. And so that's the real key here is 
how do you start thinking about building a proper career path for content marketing or content, honestly, yeah. in your business? So, um, yeah, and I, I mean, I've gone through this a few times and I, and I love the way you described a career. I don't, I don't recall that. I, I plopped into a very low level government admin job when I was 17. So that was, <laughs> I love that, 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 that stairway to heaven that you, that stairway to marketing heaven that you detailed there straight out of university. Well, you could anyway. see it, right? I mean, the point <laughs> is that you could see it, right? Yeah. I mean, you could, yeah. you could look at it in your organization yeah. and it yeah. was, this is, Absolutely. you know, so specifically pre-digital, Absolutely. right? Yeah. In marketing, and maybe you're even too young for this, but but <laughs> in in, in pre digital yeah. world, yeah. you looked at the marketing department, mm -hmm. and there were basically three places that you could go, and they were those trails, those paths were very clear. Yeah. One, you could go into PR comms, yeah, you know, and and sort of matriculate up that way, yeah, or you could get into product, or yeah. you could get into sales, yeah. And that's where it really, you know, you, you, yeah. you basically, and, and based on your talents and your strengths as a, as a marketing junior level marketing person mm. and your desires, you would plot out with your boss. You would say, mm. this is where I want to go. This is how I want to, you know, and you'd get reviewed and blah, blah, blah. And you'd have your, mm. you know, so most organizations had that digital through that for a tizzy because mm. now all of a sudden we started bifurcating. Like if now I'm plopped in as a marketer, it's like, well, where am I going? Well, am I going to yeah. regular marketing or am I going to go into the digital marketing department? Yeah. Or am I going to go into the web team? Or am I going to go into the social team? Or am I going to go into the brand team? Or am I going to go into, uh, you know, there's all sorts of different areas that had their own sort of career paths associated with it. And it got really messy really fast. Yeah. yeah. And do you think that's, um, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Because with it, with it nowadays, with career paths that we've that we define, we one of the challenges has always been like, how do you value and pay somebody more money without them becoming a, ma a people manager? And how do you how do you value talent? How do you value their marketing skills and talent? Is that is that the sort of thing you're you're, you're thinking about? Is as somebody gets really good at content marketing, how do we then retain them and value them without them going? without you know and without them needing to become a generalist and therefore a manager of a group of people or is that the sort of thing you're talking about there where we need to well it's a recognition that it is a recognition that content is and 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 you know we talked a little bit about this yeah. last week on the show yeah it's a recognition by the business that content is actually mm -hmm. a practice and a function right. and a you know a a, a, a skill set yes right that is is uh is specialized mm -hmm. it's a specialized skill set mm -hmm. it is a specialized function in the business therefore you can have a manager of it mm -hmm. a single you know basically a single what would be called a, a, a single contributor mm -hmm. to that you can have teams and then recognize that a senior level manager or director level position is someone who can manage those mm -hmm. skilled positions and then you have to have multiple disciplines across content marketing, content strategy, content engineering, you know, content management, content measurement. Yeah. Uh, when you start getting to the VP level where all of those single level contributors need to be brought together into a single function mm -hmm. and it can be managed at a divisional level or a regional level or whatever the mm -hmm. right, you know, organization for your construct is. And, and ultimately then, okay, yes, maybe at the C level, it then becomes more generalized when you get to, you know, BP and or C level, you know, where you start managing multiple and different functions as a portfolio. But that's the, the recognition of the career path that certainly at the lower levels beyond and up to manager, um, are, are, are a recognition that content is actually a thing, right? Yes. That, that, that. It's not just something that it's like, you know, everybody does. Yeah, I was going to say that's similar to the like you said, it's a, in um, it, it sort of relates back to the conversation we we're having last week. Absolutely. And it's 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 like a, a de it's like having you. Sorry, every but one of the things I've talked about is the fact that everybody's second business is publishing content. Right. So it's it's taking that function within your business seriously, isn't it? And having that 
structure in place, like you would have a finance team or you would have a, you know, uh, I don't know, your engineering team. You have exactly. a content. Well, exactly. Team. I mean, and I absolutely believe that. I yeah. believe content is should be treated yeah. in the business at the same way that we treat finance or legal yeah. or sales or yeah. marketing, right? Yeah. I mean, content is a practice. It is something that yeah. there are specific skill sets and uh, activities that make up a strategic approach to it like any of the other functions in our business. Yeah, no, I fully subscribe to that. So when, um, now th that's a great point. I lo love this conversation. But um, when people are looking for uh, content that has indeed been written by uh, somebody who's dedicated to the practice, where may they find that? Well, they'll find it primarily uh, <laughs> on our shiny new one wonderful website called okay. contentadvisory.net. Splendid. And when we spin the dial on the interwebs, where are we going to find you? We'll find me on LinkedIn primarily these days, although you can also subscribe to our wonderful little podcast called This Old Marketing. And if you go to thisoldmarketing.com, you can also uh, hear us, you know, chortle on about <laughs> stupid things in marketing um, on that podcast as well. It's where I get all my education about American football, I'll be honest with you. So I'm delighted. There you go. That. Well, there it is. Yeah. I'm glad the season has started again. All right. Yes, so, um, and, can... and uh, most important to me, will I see you in the bar next week? Indeed you will. I look forward to it, my friend. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. I just got his book this week. There are no cocktails in it, but all the good marketing things. I'll include a link to it in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 181 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insight. And to you, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. You can find all of our links and all the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com, along with our blog, newsletter and all of our previous episodes. And please let us know what you think via the socials or drop us a rating or review in your podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week is more of the same with me, Jeff and Robert. I hope you again join us here on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.